0: Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yes! Again, have to be careful of the speed. What a comeback season for Hal Sutton.
1: Come right back towards the hole. 17 years later, Hal Sutton is the players' champion.
2: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Be the Right Club today podcast. How? What's up?
0: Three M Championship this week. Cameron yep. Champ comes through golf course. You know, right? Played there a few times. Played there on the Champions Tour. I didn't think it was all that hard to go. Of golf course, it was always in perfect shape. It's a great time of the year to be in Minneapolis area. Cooler.
2: You want to open up an academy up there in the summer?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to. It's kind of hot
2: down yeah. here right now. Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting. I watched a little bit of the end. Um, some, some. They showed some stats of of Cameron Champ's putting and whatnot, and he's struggled
0: o- over the year with putting. And he was number one this week. And guess what? He, you know, he won. Well, that's just evidence. You know, his strength is his long game. Is he's one of the longest hitters, if not the longest hitter on the tour. He's a good ball striker. And then all of a sudden, when a weakness turns into a strength, catapults right into that, the winner's circle
2: that week. Right, like, that week. You know, and. It's something that you've always said, and and I think it's I think it's a great point. Like his calling card is his length, is his his ability to hit the golf ball. He's always got to
0: keep that calling card. He, he has to have it every week when he goes out there, you know, and and that's why I tell everybody work as hard as you can on your strength. Don't uh, sacrifice your strength in order to make your weakness stronger, but spend extra time on your weakness, try
2: to make it better. And one of the things that that you've pointed out before was that. You know, Cameron Champ, statistically, is not a great putter. Um, Colin Markawa, statistically, is, they aren't great putters. But that's compared to the best putters in the world. You know, he's still a great putter compared to a scratch golfer. He's still an adequate putter. It's just compared to tour players.
0: So, you know, I, I've mentioned this before, but in their hometown, wherever they're from, they're the best that there is. And that's what they're... Their mindset is. In all areas. In all areas. Uh, not, even in their weakness, they're still world-class to an average player. Yeah. But once you compare yourself to the best players in the world, your weaknesses stand out.
2: And I think that brings up a real quick great point. You can't be Dustin Johnson off the tee, Colin Morikawa Iron Play, um, whoever the number one putter, uh, Louis U stays in putting, um, so Louie has been playing great golf and has been a lot of those things, but he can't have the length that Dustin has and tied into all the other strengths and have whoever the best short game, Phil Mickelson short game. You just can't be that. That guy doesn't exist. Tiger came close, but even he couldn't be that for very long. Perfect is
0: not possible. Yeah.
2: Right. So understand your calling card and,
0: and stick with it and slowly try to try to improve some other areas. The journey is going to be long. And you need to be better at everything, and that's what every golfer feels. You know, yep. I'd like to get better at everything, and that's what makes golf so intriguing. Yep, I love
2: that. So we'll get right into our uh, our next guest is uh, Mr. Nick Clearwater. Um, he's the vice president of instruction of Golf Tech. I mm-hmm. joke he's he's in charge of everything at Golf Tech. Um, friend of mine, I've known Nick for uh, six or seven years now. Um, super, super smart guys you're going to find real quick. He's definitely on the new school side of things when it comes. He's he speaks a little bit more of my language. I think he probably speaks it a little bit, a little bit smoother and faster than I do. Um, But we met talking about sensors in the 3d world and you're going to get a, uh, a glimpse into his world at golf tech and and how they measure things and how they,
0: uh, they measure twice and cut once. I loved it. I was in awe. So uh, get ready. He, 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 explains everything pretty eloquently and it's pretty fast and you know there was a couple of times whenever i was just like i don't even know what to say right now
2: <laughs> so, we don't stump you very often yeah stumped you and so if you're listening on on the radio or whatever and have a chance to watch this on youtube definitely recommend to check it out on youtube even after you've listened to it once because he demonstrates a little bit um, but yeah you guys enjoy nick clearwater golf tech all right our next guest on the be the right club today podcast is mr nick clearwater nick's the vice president of instruction at Golf Tech. Um, golf Tech gives more lessons across the world than any other, any other company, any other system out there. And, you know, I've known Nick for four or five years now. We've talked and, and gotten into a lot of the new school stuff, the data stuff. And so we wanted to bring Nick on and, and pick his brain about what he's seeing at Golf Tech, what's happening at Golf Tech, and just talk about some golf. So, Nick, welcome aboard.
1: Thanks, guys. No, it's cool to talk about all the things we're doing here, but I've got a ton of questions for you and Hal, too. So this should be fun. Awesome. Well, tell us about how you, you know, how you came, you know,
2: got got on board with Golf Tech and and where you guys are headed and what you're up to. Yeah, all my
1: stories are boring, but I know that we need to talk about them to give some perspective here. So uh, I went to college in Michigan, graduated from a PGM program, was a club pro out in the Northeast for a long time, Connecticut, New York, New Jersey. Uh, Then decided I didn't want to be a club pro anymore I met uh, a few smart friends who taught me about how golf instruction really works Um, I was good at golf growing up as a kid and all the way up into when I was a club pro. I was okay Um, But I didn't really know how any of it worked But because I was good at it people assumed I did so I taught a lot of lessons Uh, But then once I found a, a, a way to measure swings Which is really the bread and butter of what golf tech and all of our coaches do now it became interesting to me so I was fortunate enough to uh, travel the PGA Tour for about 10 years um, and be an independent contractor from there. And then uh, Golf Tech had had asked a few times about if I had any interest in, in working with them. A lot of my best friends work here at our headquarters. Uh, it had never really worked out before, but in 2012, we uh, came to a, a nice little agreement of how we could still uh, have, make this beneficial for both of us. So I started started then. Um, we were really in our infancy as a company of understanding how Six Degrees of Freedom worked and really how to teach golf because it is hard to to find good mentors uh, uh, that understand 3D from there. So now my day is really hanging out at our headquarters in Denver, Colorado. I'm allowed to get away from my desk once in a while to still go to a PGA Tour event or two. Um, and uh, my main job is to make sure coaches have Fun during their day. So the easiest way to describe that is if it, if uh, and you guys both know this from for golf lessons too. If a student comes in and you're not at all surprised at what they're doing, you've seen this before. You know how to handle the situation. You can relax, have a good time with that student, give a great experience, and, and enjoy your day. So that's mainly what I'm trying to do: is prepare every coach for any student that's going to walk in with any problem, and give them a, a, a problem solving. A system that's efficacious for anybody, so that's my job. For about a thousand, I think we're almost at a thousand golf tech coaches all over the world. Wow!
0: So, Nick, you're collecting a lot of data. We talk about data all the time. You
1: know, uh, what have you found? What what's important to a golfer? Yeah, great question. I wish this this kind of story was told more. Hal, and I didn't realize you were really into the data like that. But I guess being around Chase or more than five minutes, you have no choice. Uh, He knows it as well as I do, I'm sure. Um, Well, what we're able to do because of our scale, Hal, is is cool. uh, We've run a very simple, yet what I think is a really elegant study that should help golf teachers everywhere and golf students uh, around the world too. So every student that walks in, we see more than a few hundred thousand unique players every single year. When they make their first swing before we start to give them instruction, we track uh, a lot of different things. We used to track just two sensors, uh, one that sat on your tailbone and one that sat on the the back of your cervical spine, top of your thoracic spine. And then we would save that data along with uh, all the ball flight data that we had as well. And then we tie that to how how good you are. So what's your handicap? So we had an array of amateur golfers that walked in, all different skill levels. We get the best all the way to rank beginners. So we could then tie together who was really good and how did they move when they swung and how did the ball fly relative to the worst players and start to really see some correlations. It's not causation, but some correlative, correlative movements in there that really define what good players do. So, for example, like the meat of your question is, uh, what do the best players do that the worst don't do? And we've outlined that in, in what we called our uh, swing true motion study which you can find if you dabble around in golftech.com. It's hard to visualize that in a podcast. But some of the most highly correlated uh, moves to skill were uh, at the top of the swing, the amount that your shoulders were tilted towards the ground. The higher that was, the better you were at golf. There is a point where um, your, your return on investment there isn't great, but On average, the best players tilted themselves more towards the ground at the top of the swing than the worst players. No one will ever know really if that's their problem or not until they see a competent instructor. But uh, that one came to mind as as probably unique, and I think that would be interesting to anyone who's never really studied data before. And then another one that breaks up a lot of the dogmatic views of golf is the hitting and in the follow-through, the amount that you extend your thorax or everything from my sternum upward backwards was a serious correlation to skill as opposed to your average guys who you, you guys meet them. They come in for golf lessons and tell you they're trying to keep their head down or stay real still through the ball, or they just don't really know how the follow through works in general, but it's very highly correlated to skill. So couple that with a a few other moves, such as where you placed your, the center of your thorax in the backswing, the closer that is towards the target at the top of the swing, the better the golfers were. And that was the highest correlation to skill. And then the second highest was the center of your pelvis and how close that was to the target when you hit the ball, which should make a lot of sense. That's the part, a big piece of controlling the, the bottom of your swing. So you hit the, the ground, then the ball. So putting all that together, uh, you really have a, a very basic template that could be considered the most fundamental parts to play the game. Uh, fundamentals are always talked about as your grip and how you stand and where you're trying to aim. But you know, from experience, and I've seen you hit a few shots on the range uh, the, when you played competitively, where you don't always see the same grip out there. Not everyone's aiming the same way. No one stands really the same way. Um, those aren't actually the fundamentals. Fundamentals would be how you move yourself around and Uh, direct correlations to skill level, which is what we're trying to produce. And then we release that data out to the public. You can find it on a website right now. It's a rather old website, and I'm looking forward to uh, upgrading the data with our new motion measurement system. But it's out there for anybody who wants to see it. And oftentimes, uh, if I present a PGA sections all over the country, I'll talk about our our swing truth study and those fundamental moves when you play golf. And I, I find that coaches are far more interested in it than I was expecting because it seemed very remedial to me, it would be to chase through all his years of using 3D. But if you don't use 3D either on a daily basis or have access to it, or have a friend who can teach you about that, um, most people actually don't know the basic moves of golf.
2: Nick, one of the, one of the follow-up questions I have to that is, you know, you mentioned the thorax. So the rib cage, the center of the rib cage being more towards the target um, in the backswing for better players than, than for lesser skilled players. So, this one's it's kind of a loaded question, but I I love your take on it. And I love your take on it from a just your average golf tech instructor that's you know been run through the system and and is and has kind of taught the to, to simplify it and go kind of through these numbers first. But you know Hal's talked a lot about um, his how he was taught to swing growing up and 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 some of that stuff, and he was taught to move off the ball quite a bit, right? And he was taught mm-hmm. to have a lot of translation, a lot of a lot of upper body slide off the sway off the ball when a Hal Sutton comes in a really skilled player comes in and say he's not doesn't haven't have any real issues you know controlling the obviously Hal didn't have any issues controlling the bottom but doesn't have he's not really struggling with with his golf swing he's just coming in to check golf tech out and you guys see a lot of movement off even though that's outside of the range of what what you guys recommend but yet he's a really skilled player how do you kind of go through the weeds on that. Cause that's something that Hal and I always talk about, you know, the better the player, you got to step back and say, okay, hang on, Is are all my beliefs, am I going to throw all my beliefs at this guy or, or what
0: am I going to yeah. do?
1: Well, that's an awesome question. I'm glad you asked that. Cause I hadn't really thought about it with Hal, but knowing his swing, that's a perfect, uh, uh perfect segue into it. So first, I think your teaching system needs to be, uh, def- well-defined, but lenient enough to help anyone. So while I wouldn't model out a backswing to do it as Hal did, uh, Four reasons, and we should talk about those. Because he's very skilled at it, and he's acquired the familiarity of the, the translation away. But on the downswing, he moves the the center point of his thorax far enough toward the target where he doesn't have a problem hitting the ground in the right spot or hitting the ball solid. That definitely isn't something that you should be looking at for first and trying to uh, just pigeonhole them into a a model swing that you have. That that makes no sense whatsoever. Um, anytime a good player or a PGA Tour player asks me uh, for help, it usually starts with about a half an hour conversation so that I actually know what it is they would like to get out of the session, for one, and what the actual problem is. And that oftentimes takes a lot of questions because the answers aren't, uh, uh, I find that most people can't explain what they actually do because they don't think about it in a logical way. So for if Hal came in and saw me, I'd say, well, what's the problem? Where where are the bad shots going? What what would you actually like to do? And then he might tell me, I'd like to hit it a little further, maybe as an example. And then uh we'd talk about ways that he could uh actually increase the the thoracic extension in his backswing make his shoulders turn just a little bit more as a potential way or often from the few times I've seen Hal swing I can see the follow through is not extended backward as I outlined in that very first piece that would help him raise the butt under the club and his hand path faster from about where the shafts parallel to the ground until his right humerus is parallel to the ground on this side. Those are the things I might address or, or look for first before ever really talking about how the, the backswing shoulder sway moves away from the target more than the average pga tour player or more than even like the the uh, third quartile of pga tour players from there i mean that's then he gets the instruction that he needs based on the problem he wants to solve if it's a curve of the ball then my first question is always where does the ball start which sometimes is hard to get out of even the best players because they don't think about that right away it's usually i just don't want to hit it to the left or i don't want to hit it to the right I hate to the right, Um, but there's so much more that needs to be defined in there. Uh, Hitting it to the right is almost like an indefinite pronoun. It's not just to the right. The ball started too straight, started to the right, started to the left, curved one way, curves to the right. I know you don't want to do that, but that helps you then define where the club face is pointed when you hit the ball and what the swing direction is on most of those problem shots then most of your golf lesson is likely from the side view trying to either uh, adjust the hand path on the way down or how you might straighten your right arm and turn the shaft out that way or or whatever the problem would be so every golf lesson from any golf tech instructor is very individual in spite of having a model swing and we do have a model swing but that doesn't mean we try to fit anyone into it that just enables you to problem solve so if uh if Hal, for whatever reason, has a shoulder turn at the top of the swing that's 83 degrees and our PGA Tour average is uh, 90 degrees, then we could say, well, if you'd like to turn a little bit more, which could be give you some more potential power, here's how you might do that. And it would be, uh, one way to do that, that would be to uh, feel like you sway off the ball to start yourself. off the ground five degree point in time where the average PGA tour player stops moving away and starts moving towards just understanding that could go a long way to um, helping Hal turn more degrees and have a bigger shoulder turn and maybe not sway as much, have some more extension in your thoracic spine. And that's how golf lessons should be. It shouldn't be, uh, go ahead and hit a shot and I'm going to tell you exactly what to do. You need a lot more questions than that. You need your teaching system to be extremely lenient where if Hal came to me, it might take 10 lessons before I ever talked about the shoulder sway if if at all, it would totally depend on how he's playing and how he wants to hit. If we worked with each other for 100 years, chances are he'd look like my model swing at the end of 100 years, but it might take that long.
0: All thoughts? Uh, well, first of all, uh, Nick, I don't play much golf anymore.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't either. I understand. I, I
0: do this thing called teaching now, and that took away from my own playing ability. But you know what fascinates me about all this is... I didn't have any of this when I learned how to play, nor did any of the teachers have any of this. So we basically pulled this out of the ground, basically. And, you know, that's why we all looked a little bit different than, uh, you know, as 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 teaching has evolved, players begin to look more like each other now because we do have a model that we're all moving towards. Some are closer to it than others are. And, and I loved your analogy of how you... Uh, pick your spots where you try to move somebody closer to the model based on what they're doing presently in their game and what they want to accomplish. Uh, Chase and I do the exact same thing when people come in. We try to understand what's going on and what their goals are before we ever get started. So uh, I'm glad to hear you say all that because, you know, we've never, I've never unfortunately never been through the door of golf tech in my life, but I appreciate what y'all are doing. And I, uh, you know, we've kind of modeled ours after you and we didn't even know
1: what you were doing. So (laughs) I guess we just (laughs) know. Chase knows what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. You've learned a a ton and Chase knows how the 3d measurements work. He could come stand by me at our headquarters and teach coaches how to do this all day long and they'd get an awesome education. Um, you're defining something that I think is interesting. It's one of my favorite topics, which is selection bias uh, you talked about all the PGA Tour players and all your peers that you played with, and no one really knew what they were doing. It's just pure statistics that out of billions and billions of people that are in the world, uh, hundreds are going to grab a club, make a swing, and that motor program that's in your brain is so good that instruction won't do much unless it's it's very well-defined and very good, quite honestly. you You were probably far better off playing golf the way you did. I'm sure you had maybe some helpful eyes along the way, but you practicing, doing the exact same thing, having predictable curve to the ball, uh, not changing too much of what your swing was, although I'm sure you tinkered all the time. Uh, and by tinkering, I just mean like small things that you might've been practicing, whether it was a little bit in your back swing or something that you, a friend might've mentioned to you or something you thought you might do because you watched someone else. But that selection bias just shows how skilled you are in your brain of you had a swing pattern where you just made a swing and it worked great. Uh, The unfortunate piece is the invisible graveyard out there, the billions of people who are trying to do that same thing, and it doesn't work because they don't have that selection bias uh, luck, I'd say, that that you and many of your peers had. So they need some understanding about how how to swing a club and understand that in the backswing, you tilt your shoulders towards the ground so that you keep your inclination to the ground. On um, the backswing, you need to actually not bend forward for too long. There's a time and a place to extend yourself backwards at both your hips and your shoulders. That's how you can... Uh, take someone who isn't as gifted as as you are and teach them how to be really functional around the golf course. And if your coach has a a system that's very well-defined, so we could talk about thousands and thousands of motion measurements, but I don't ever do that in golf lessons. And that is lenient enough so that anyone who walks in, you can find an answer to their problem and do it quickly so that the game's fun for them. And that's teaching golf. And that's what we're trying to do with the almost thousand coaches we have. And this year alone, we're going to teach about 1.6 million lessons is my guess.
2: You know, Nick, one of the things you said that I really like, and it's something that we try and do here, is when you said if a Hal Sutton came in, you're going to spend 30 minutes talking to him before you before you start, you know, diving in and cutting on him, right? And I think as instructors, and, and if any of us could do this, it would be Hal. It would be Hal talking more about him or saying he knew everything that there was to know about everything because he won 14 times on tour and has a resume to back it up, right? Could just... Door, I didn't say you needed to do this you need to do that but I, I just don't think it's fair I think that as instructors we have to and this is going to be one of the things we would talk about in the exit today is say look like you know Nick mentioned 30 minutes for the better players like spend time with the student and get to know them a little bit on a personal level and figure out what their their pain points are you know just because they move it a little bit differently well they might have right shoulder issue or they might have You know, they might be scared to death of it going left that they've been they've been moving in a way that has tried to help them solve their problems. And I I just don't think you can just dive right in on these. And that's why you guys do the evaluations. We do a new student assessment, all that stuff. Make sure we, you know, we understand the puzzle a little bit more. We, We we flip the pieces of the puzzle over before we start putting it together.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. The worse you are at golf. Uh, if you're ranked beginner, you shoot 100, whatever your goals are. I probably only need to watch you hit three or four shots and we can get started. But the better that you are, all the way up to a player of Hal's caliber for sure, those get longer. Sometimes the players get frustrated by the questions because they're not you're really used to ask it. being asked those, and the answers are a little harder to find. Or they've had experiences with teachers that didn't ask as thorough of a question or weren't really trying to get down to a specific point I usually am. Uh, so sometimes it gets a little frustrating for the player. I try to avoid that as much as I can, but I need enough information to know that you either want the face more open of the path, more close of the path. You want to hit it a little bit different or farther, whatever that is. Um, is there a club that doesn't work well for you? Is there a shot that you try to hit? Like, uh, um, uh, my friend Johnson Wagner, um, uh, asked me one time, uh, he plays a little bit on the PGA tour. Now, every time I try to hit one a little softer, I overdraw it. And he'd hit with the face close to the target, one or two degrees on a uh, half of a seven iron. He's trying to hit, and it would curve thirty yards left of the green. And he didn't know what to do. And that's all he cared about. Um, so that's that's why you have to ask those questions and not just dive right in. Your analogy of the puzzle pieces and the grabbing your knife and just starting to chop people up is a poor way to start.
2: So Nick, one of the things that you're you're you guys are really big on, and we talk a lot about here too, is is low point control. Um, and I would say what's been fascinating to us. We're right by champions golf club here in Houston. We've got, there's a bunch of great players over there and a bunch of guys that are a little bit older. Hal and I were actually talking about this yesterday. There's so many guys say 50 and above that great players played at a plus handicap and are starting to struggle with low point control. You know, from a, you know, if a 25 year old kid comes in here and has low point issues, like it's pretty simple. We can, we can move them pretty fast, but we've, We've seen uh, the older population struggle with that a little bit, and, and have have some issues just because their back's not as as bendable as it used to be, and they have a hard time, you know, side bending and doing some of the stuff that's that's needed. But talk a little bit about how you guys handle low point control or teach low point control, and then what would your advice be to some of the guys that are a little bit older that are struggling with?
1: Yeah, well, it's definitely one of the uh, weakest skills of a bad player. You could almost tie a handicap level to how many times can you hit a line on the ground exactly the same way? Because to do that, you have to have a lot of things right. One of those things is where you position your the center of your pelvis and the center of your shoulders. The closer you can get your lead shoulder to the target, the harder it is to start striking behind the ground. That doesn't mean you're going to hit good shots that way. Ultimately, your angle of attack can be too. Uh, too downward relative to the tour average it might be harder to swing fast but a good place to start if you don't want to hit behind the ball is just try to position your lead shoulder as you're about to strike this closer towards the target those both of your pelvis and shoulders with some shift force towards the target for a longer amount of time on the downswing that can also be a, a piece you make on the backswing if you do the the hal Sutton forward bend for too long that's why amateur golfers struggle with this get behind the ball really load up into your trail leg uh, those are dogmatic and kind of silly phrases because it's not quite what happens um, in reality when you can measure swings. You do that for too long and you're you're making it more challenging to move your lead shoulder in front of the ball. So it might start with most people who struggle with low point of measuring where their thoracic and pelvic sways are at the top of their swing. And then if those aren't somewhat close to a tour average or how they got there wasn't similar to, uh, say, how Rory McIlroy might do it just as an example, then we might talk about how you, you keep moving those sways more towards the target in the backswing and, and measure those. So when the shaft's parallel to the ground in the backswing, there's no reason to have your pelvic sway more than a half of an inch away from the target. Same thing by the time your lead arm's parallel to the ground. At that point in time, your hip sway of all the best players that I see, um, minus about Ricky Fowler, uh, are starting to recenter their pelvis and beginning to move some, some shoulder sway towards the target. Then the the piece that a lot of people make a total mess out of is on the downswing. When the shaft gets close to parallel to the ground, the butt end of the club can't get any closer to the ground because as you're starting to uncock your wrists or move them towards ulnar deviation, like you'd see in the YouTube video here, you're pushing the the head of the club farther away from you. So you need to get the butt end of the club to go upward. And people either don't do that very well who struggle with the low point problem or they do it in a way that is maybe even more complicated, which is tends to be try to flex your lead elbow to get the butt under the club move up. I'd prefer a system where you, you still keep your left arm fairly straight. And by fairly, I mean uh, less than 10 degrees of flex, is usually what I find the most common. And then you've got to bend yourself backward from that point in time through the ball. And that's what's helping you make the butt under the club rise or the middle of the grip rise. And then as you start to uncock your wrists on the way down, then you've got a uh, a little alchemy in there of uh, the shafts getting further away from you, but you're making the butt end of the club rise. You make some good contact. So people who struggle with hitting behind the ball need to first I measure the, the sway of your shoulders and your hips. Then second, I would start to measure the point in time where the shafts parallel to the ground in the downswing all the way until your right humerus or your trail arm is parallel to the ground in the falter and see how the bending and tilting pattern is. I find, like, the, the if you don't right, tilt, or can't side bend very well, which you mentioned, Chase, of uh, older players, that usually isn't the worst function of hitting behind the ball. I find that it's the, the sagittal plane bending forward and backward. That's the piece most people get wrong. They don't do it enough. They do it at the wrong time. Um, or they don't understand they need to do it at all. And then the, the club is too close to the ground at impact and smash. All thoughts? Wow.
0: <laughs> Did I say that right, Hal? <laughs> hey, uh, I was, I was trying to follow every bit of that, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, one of the things that I wanted to mention, and it's not completely about that, you know, that is a lot of information, even for a skilled player. And I'm yeah. certain that everybody listening to that right there was like, let me rewind this and listen to that one okay, more perfect. time, uh. I'm sitting there thinking about how many of those functions I had in my golf swing when I played best, my best. Definitely. And I don't know, to be honest with you. And so I guess the reason why I'm even saying that is this is a great lesson for a student to learn to trust their whoever's coaching them, teaching them, and leave it up to them. And we pick one thing, and we're going to work on this for a little while. You know, you mentioned a whole lot of things there,
1: and that's 50 lessons.
0: Would you oh, agree with it?
1: It could be. That's Yeah, sorry. So um, so I worked under the premise of here's like the nerdy reason. Here's an, the nerdy stuff that actually is the problem. If I gave that lesson, Hal, um, and you already did this well. You had this skill, but you didn't know it. It's kind of back to my selection bias uh, piece. All of these really complicated things, you just made a swing. You got most of them right. Sometimes you've got it wrong and you hit shots that you didn't like, but a majority of the time you got it right. So you did what I'm just describing to teach other people to do that. I spend most of the time with people who hit behind the ball, uh, first just watching the sways, measuring those. But generally it's how do you get to where your right arm is parallel to the ground in the follow through. I teach people essentially just how to move themselves around on the downswing. And this is a really good checkpoint for how to, uh, alleviate that. You want to have your hips just about as high off the ground as you can. That means you've straightened your legs after you've hit the ball. You want to have uh, the backward bending I'm describing happening just from your sternum or the, the buttons on my shirt up. That should be bent back about 20 degrees when your right arm's parallel to the ground. You should have your arms very straight and just point the shaft straight towards the target. Something like that. If you do that really well on that side of the ball, then you've actually learned the skills that I explained in a more complicated manner. So my lessons, while I I might be able to talk like that with you and chase, because I think it's the right venue for it in a golf lesson, I don't say any of that stuff. And usually just tell people, here's how we're going to punch this ball down the fairway. Uh, hit the ground in front of the ball, and then you've got to be really certain you get all these parts right in the follow through of how straight your arm should be, where the shaft needs to go, how that extending goes. Watch me do one; that looked pretty easy, right? Okay, you do this. Hold your follow through, and then usually the first few shots someone hits, i uh, it won't quite look right or it won't be good enough of all those pieces, and I start to just move them around a little bit. Say you need to do this a little more, this a little faster see how I look a touch more bent over to the side than you do do it again and within five ten balls it's very rare that someone can't learn how to do that follow-through piece which is ultimately teaching them how to hit the ball with those mechanics that I described earlier so while your lessons uh, could be super complicated I don't think any of them should be complicated most of mine are uh, on this swing move the butt to the club backward hits you in the right leg in the back swing or uh, I teach a lot of people who turn too many degrees, even though that's not often talked about So I tell them, I feel like you keep your trail knee as bent as you can all the way in the backswing. Um, simple things like that are the cues that I give in all my lessons. And so do the golf tech coaches, but to get to that, to making something really simple, the better, you know, the subject matter, the easier it is to do something like that. So talk about the percentage of the club
0: how much the club face has to do with where the ball goes. I think that makes a great deal of
1: uh, what's your take on that. Oh, sure. I mean, that is the, the primary tool of which direction the ball is going to start. Um, so the more uh, generally I prefer people to play with the face far too closed. Uh, relative to what you might think of as a standard swing, the the worse they are, that's where I'd start. The better they are, it almost doesn't matter. You've built that familiarity where you don't have to play around with the face too much or you know how to have some command of it. But I will say like someone like Webb Simpson, I think uh, that would be a hard way to play. When the shaft's parallel to the ground on the downswing, his face is pretty open and he tries to play within a a more extended lead wrist and and a ton of the the roll the supination of his lead arm relative to his peers. I prefer to play golf like uh, Dustin Johnson does, a more flexed wrist, and if anything, then he can afford to begin to extend his wrist and play golf that way. I think that's much easier because you're not twisting the club face as much uh, from the point where the shaft's parallel to the ground on the downswing all the way to the follow-through. Does that kind of answer what your question is? Well, I just think most people,
0: most good players know where the club face is all the time. Most poor players don't know where the club face is. That's been what I've found, basically. And I mean, they know, they understand where their body is in relation and what the club face has to be to make it go at the target. And what I mean by that is everybody that's swinging left knows the face has to be open to make the ball go at the target. Everybody that's swinging inside to out, they know the face has to be closed to make it go at the target. Now, my experience is everybody that's swinging from inside to out a lot
1: has low point issues. Do you yeah. find this thing? Yeah. So, even good players uh, take like your club pros who are five handicaps and hit all just big slinging draws. There's a potential. If, if I change my swing direction and move it 10 degrees to the right, the bottom of that swing arc is moving backward relative to the ball. So, that isn't as easy to play. I prefer people just swing pretty much straight at the target, uh, two, three degrees. Uh, into out is probably where most of the players that I teach lie. And then the club faces are so slightly close to that. And everybody's hitting little push draws as swinging as fast as they can with an angle of attack. That's just about the PGA tour average or a little shallower than that. And I just teach people mainly to do that, but that isn't necessarily a requirement either. So most golfers, uh, Hal, you're, uh, uh, I think, You'll find this one interesting. We also poll of all of our students. Where do you hit a ball and where would you like to hit it? 96% say that they slice or don't have any pattern at all. And then 93% of those people say they would love to hit a little draw. It's the right answer. So uh, the worse you are, if you come in and you swing 10 degrees out to in, you hit all these high spinning, open face bunker shots with a ton of spin loft and you want to hit a little draw, We, I would start by probably teaching someone in one or two swings to move from 10 degrees to the left and start swinging 10 degrees in and out with the face close to the, the path so that the balls are... Uh, traveling much farther you've got less spin off they're curving how much and where the ball ends up is not a concern and then once i feel like they've got some pretty good command over say a six eight 10 degree in out swing direction then we just move that right back to uh, close to zero so that their the low point of their swing is moving further up relative to if i just swing in out almost uncontrollably Nick, quick,
2: quick follow up on the low point for the for the older guys. Where does rotation come in?
1: Okay, uh, good question. So uh, the shoulders on the downswing, when the shaft's parallel to the ground, that's about where I would have them close to zero degrees turned. So right shoulder, left shoulder facing the target. And then when you hit, about twenty to thirty degrees is enough shoulder turn there. Then your hip turns a little bit more open than that. And then the the point I would try to teach people who are struggling with low point. Is uh, Again, not the impact measurements. It's when your right arm's parallel to the ground. 70 degrees of thoracic turn and 65 of hip turn would be a really good way to actually get those measurements of impact. If you're turned much less at that point in time in the follow-through, you're going to be turned less when you hit. So teaching impact is almost something I never do. you usually just teach the foreman on uh, the follow-through, which cleans up the bottom of the swing that way. But your, your question, I think, is uh, uh, how much are the the worst your low point is for those better players who overdraw and the older guys like you're explaining. Their knees are usually too bent the to follow through. Their hips are too close to the ground and they're not turned enough degrees. Uh, there are easy ways to teach people how to do that. But I think starting by measuring that is is easy. So if you could say uh, here you are with your right arm parallel to the ground, your shoulders are turned 45 degrees the guys you see on tv who don't hit behind the ball those are closer to 70 so here's how you do that if that makes sense to a student then you've got some buy-in and you can start pulling out your scalpel and showing them how to do that
2: sure. and we we see a ton of older guys yeah that don't extend near enough post-impact you yeah. know and so that's that's a, a, a lot of times the the lowest hanging
1: fruit that we attack um yeah. a few guys and I that- think uh, i think chase people uh, just over time lose that skill and maybe because they don't know that they have that skill. Uh, so it's not, I don't think it's, it's old age oftentimes that causes this problem. I think it's not understanding that you want to keep bending yourself backward. So over time that form just deteriorates to where you're bent more forward.
2: Um, well, and, and they start hitting behind it. So they think they need to stay down on it more. Or they, you know, they they were told they've got to stay in posture longer. And so a lot of it is those biases that they've had for, because Really, that generation never really had video or never really had any kind of, let's say, modern instruction. Not that we're any better than the old school guys, but but everything back then was keep your head still,
1: keep your head still, stay down, stay down, do all that stuff. Well, yeah. everybody we, had to learn their own way. And you'd read, read books or DVD or you'd watch DVDs 10 years ago and you'd, you'd try to find like a, Ben Hogan wrote this. I'm going to give it a try. Uh What He hadn't measured swings, didn't really know what was happening, not through his own fault. It was just that technology didn't exist. So then that book is read by tens and thousands of hundreds of people, and pretty soon that's how you play golf, and then that's just spread down from generation to generation. And that's a real problem because the way you would want to learn golf is you look at what separates good players from bad, and you teach people to do the good stuff quickly, and then golf would be in a better place. But because we're in that hole of the... Uh, measuring tools are hard to come by even still and chase i'd love to hear you explain this one where do you learn about how to teach in 3d besides uh someone who's had some experience you had a ton from uh from your previous position and i do this all day long but I've, i i rarely meet a coach that starts with us that actually understands the swing and in three years have that experience so you're left with uh, just kind of crossing your fingers or you have three or four tricks that work really well for you that you use in lessons and that's most commonly how golf is taught Well, oh.
0: well i was sitting here thinking about how old are you nick too old hell, 43 <laughs> 43 yeah. so you're fixing to make my point. I'm, I'm going to be able to make my point with you long before y'all were old enough to know this. They taught us that we didn't want to reverse C and what yeah. you were talking about right there, everybody got away from it because that led to what they would view as a reverse C and, uh, you know, we're a product of our environment. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm enthralled. I love listening to what, the golf swing does from people that understand 3D. Uh, That's why Chase and I hit it off in the beginning, because I knew he knew more than I did. And how that applied and what I did that was right and what I did that was wrong was yet to be determined. But, uh, you know, at one point in my life, I felt like my hands got here. And, you know, I did
1: at some point, but I don't do that now. Yeah, yeah. Even the swing I have from 10 years ago, you're a little more bent forward in that one. Right. Usually than usual. But let me add the detail to that reverse C part because I totally agree with that. But uh, it's, again, another indefinite pronoun. So what is a reverse C uh, is just the question that has to be asked even a little bit more. So I would do the follow-through exactly as I described. Straighten your legs. Keep your hips really high. The extending is from my torso upward. It's not from my lower back. With right. My knees flexed that I wouldn't prescribe because of the strain you could put on your lumbar spine that way. If you did it the, the way I described where your lumbar spine is very straight and there's minimal amount of strain on you. And when you look at swings of uh, McFeldo, when he actually hit the ball far, Greg Norman, when he played with any driver, um, I would tell you copy their follow through position through the ball. Uh, not necessarily. And if you liked how they did it, then that's all I'm defining. Gary Player and uh, Jack Nicholas had most of it right, except for the knees bent. Uh, Al Geiberger is one of my favorite follow throughs. A lot of players you played with, I'm just describing how they did it. Right. Well, love
0: talking about it. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. Maybe, I, mean, I totally. think
0: my days of actually doing it
1: are behind me, but uh, I still like to think about it. So, so, so here's how I'd, uh, I'd handle that kind of, uh, it's an objection in a way by definition, but uh, the way I would do it is just if you stood straight up and then just take your torso and bend it back about 20 degrees, that's all I'm really stating from this this movement, this this view that you're seeing for me on the side. Um, anyone can do this. You you actually do this throughout the entire day. It's just then when you get a club in your hands and you're used to swinging your, your motor program or your swing in a particular way, When you get to that point in time where you should have much more of your, many more of your joints really straight, they're just a little flex forward. And to my point, isn't you need to do it just like this, or it won't work. It's if you did it two percent better, it'll work better. If you do it ten percent better, you'll get better results. And if you did it fifty percent better, you'd hit the ball higher and farther because you're swinging faster with the potential to have more dynamic loft on the club.
0: Wow! So your experience with older players uh, and and better players uh, and right-handed players specifically, do you think as they get older, they tend to aim it further right and pull it back to the target for any specific reason?
1: Sounds like a question that might be hitting home for you. Is that that right? Uh, That's exactly right. (laughs) (laughs) You already knew Uh, that. Well, you, you kind of put the qualifiers in there. I thought it was just yeah. a hell sudden question or not, but it well, could no, be hey, anybody. Do they start quick, aiming more to the round? Real quick, real quick, Nick, because we we have a ton. This
2: is uh, when I was out at the other facility; it was all really good young players, mini tour players, and here we've got a ton of champions, guys that could flat out play, and they still can. But there, there's we've we've been talking about this a lot. We've been seeing a lot of these these averages of these guys coming in and they all struggle with low point control and they're all trying to hit draws and they're all hitting behind it. And we're, we're, we're navigating through those waters. And it's just more of a clientele that we were expecting, but we didn't think they'd all have the same problem. And you know, how, how, how fights pulls, but a lot of his pulls are left, you know, left hip replacement, left knee replacement. He has a hard time posting gotcha. up. It's what we worked on two or three years ago when he was trying to go play in the championship.
1: Yep. Yep. You're right. Um, so you hit like a, a a demographic in there of a person who aims too far to the right, potentially swings too far right relative to even their stance line, and is bent forward too long or too much roll the shaft. Teaching someone like that how to aim straighter, bend themselves backwards more, keep the face more open is generally their solution. It's how to do the follow through again for someone like that. I do. I definitely see a subset of people who uh, have learned that drawing. Gives you a spin loft advantage so the ball can go farther. But if you start swinging too many degrees into out, maybe some of those balls are pushing too much, so they start aiming more to the right, uh, trying to roll the shaft even just a touch more, whether they could explain it or not. Um, That's definitely a set of players. I think a lot of them probably don't understand um, how swing direction influences the bottom of the swing. And also, they may not even know the ball flight laws as well as you might expect them to. Uh, I would probably beat that one up pretty hard, too. Because even if I asked you the question, like, do you guys know Brandel Chambly, I think he probably knows the ball flight laws now. He didn't seven or eight years ago at all, and there's video to prove that. But he could tell you the club face gives you the initial direction of the ball, and the swing direction relative to that will help with curve, um, which is a change in his understanding. But I don't think he actually knows that. I think he can answer the question, but then when he hits a bad shot, he doesn't look at golf like that. And I would assume that your um, low handicap uh, club pro players that are having this problem don't actually know that they're swinging ten degrees in and out, and that they shouldn't do that. anymore. Yeah. yeah, a lot of them don't understand. I mean, we
2: we spend every day talking about low point and talking about how you know the middle of the of the divot for the seven iron needs to be four or four inches in front of the golf ball. You know, just kind of as a as a typical baseline. Um, yep. I think that's and a that's great, like, great model. And that's one thing that you know, Hal and I kind of hit it off for four years, five years ago at the PGA show, just talking about some of this stuff. And he was always so inquisitive about it. And and one of the things that you kind of brought up, and and when you were describing moving low point more forward and some of this stuff, is that all this data, all this stuff, isn't necessarily for the student. Isn't for the student. It's for us to understand and to be able to use our all of our resources and all the information that we've learned to apply
1: it in the simplest way to, uh, to move the, the smallest thing in a, in a direction that gives them a better chance to fall better. Exactly. If you're a total nerd and you want to talk about this, like we're doing now, we could do this for uh, hundreds of hours, honestly, yeah. each part of the swing and the motion measurements that go with it. But no. And it's the same thing that like, uh, people always like analogies. Uh, when you go to the doctor, your, the doctor doesn't take a blood pressure cuff, throw it on your arm, and tell you that your systolic and diastolic uh, blood pressure is this, and it should be in this range. He tells you it's one twenty-five over ninety, and it's high, and then you leave. Uh, unfortunately, probably with medication, it's some way to actually help you. Um, but that's golf instruction too. It shouldn't be overly complicated. I would think. Hal, I think after uh, playing or teaching. Dozens of champion tour players. You you appreciate the the technique and the, of a golf tech coach is nothing real complicated. What they know in the back of their head is very complicated. Uh, I'm always hopeful. Um, we test them pretty hard to make sure they could tell the same story I am right now. But the lessons are we tell people do not make this complicated. This isn't a here's what I know contest uh, with people. Those are those are the worst.
0: Well, one of the things that I. Mindset has a great deal to do with it, and the better player you are, the more you have to be sure of what you're about to do. So to me, I need to understand what you're talking about to me before I totally buy into it. So I don't know what you think about that, but the better the player, the more they need to understand what you're trying to do.
1: Yeah, anyone. I think that's why golf is so hard for so many people. They don't actually understand what the task is in general. So your your concept of the five handicap with swings too far to the right, they don't really know what they're supposed to be doing, would be my first guess. So you explain it all the time. Where's the low point? Uh, the way you described that I think was great If my model swing is four inches for the middle of the divot in front of the ball. You don't have to do it that way, but that's what you should at least be striving for. Uh, the same thing goes for for golf instruction it just shouldn't be hard it should be something where after i've explained to you what we're going to do um if you the better you are the more you need to know why you should be doing that because that buy-in really frees you up to uh, practice your motor program in a little different way and not feel like uh well i went to see or you used to hear this probably all the time uh, Al. I went to go see this teacher, and he told me to do this, and it just doesn't work for me. Chances are he didn't explain that very well, or you didn't grasp the explanation that was given. He might have explained that well, but you didn't understand it anyway. And that miscommunication then ends with uh, uh, expectations that are different, and you don't know why you were supposed to be practicing that in the first place. Then maybe you don't at all, and suddenly your swing is no different. You still have the same results, and you'd say that guy doesn't know what he's talking about.
0: So let's let's jump ship here from uh, golf swing to a lot of people are talking about speed and they want to hit it further. So how can you help players gain speed in your estimation?
1: Okay. A uh, great question. So I'd watch their swing first and measure it to figure out where that deficiency that is. The main deficiencies are the backswing isn't uh, turned enough. So that can be either a sway problem. The farther you move away from the, the target for a long amount of time in your backswing eventually i get to the point where i can't raise my lead arm very high into the air anymore that's why recentering your sways early enough in the backswing allows you some freedom to keep raising your lead arm up into the air it's not even a flexibility thing it's just people tend to typically get that pattern of movement wrong to to swayed off the ball for too long before bending backward and extending enough so that's step one that i'd watch um Maybe step one would be first even how you hold on to the club. So if you're holding the club more like Jordan Spieth for an amateur player or Bryson even, and you don't have the familiarity of hitting with your left wrist very flexed or not going into too much extension too soon anyway, that's like a giveaway of are you trying to hit a greenside bunker shot when you set up to the ball or not? So make sure people have their hand turned enough on the club to the right or away from the target then watch their backswing so that they i know that they are capable of moving themselves around enough to make a long enough swing that could produce some speed and then the uh the most interesting part most people get wrong is on the downswing not bending themselves forward enough before bending backward that move sagittally forward and backward is the biggest weakness, I think, in golf instruction and the, and the most flawed view of how amateurs think of the swing. They don't know to do that. They don't know how long to do it. They don't know when to do it. They don't know when to stop bending forward and start going backward. They don't know why they should do that. Those, those, are, those are the pieces of, of hitting it far. So To tie all that together into one picture, I'd practice the movement of the backswing so you could wind it up enough bend forward until your lead arms just pass parallel to the ground. Like uh, tiger woods is often blamed for bending forward a lot on the way down, lowering himself to the ground. What he's really doing is just accentuating that part before he starts to bend himself backward, more bending forward on the way down helps him hit it farther. That's why he played golf like that. It wasn't uh, a flaw in the swing. He might've done it a little bit more than I would have told him to, but uh, that's a big part of it. And then the bending backward, Justin Thomas jumping off the ground. Rory McIlroy having his both of his legs straight when the club is a foot and a half past impact. Those are uh, big pieces. And it's not the ground reaction forces. It's not the uh, uh, your ability to use the ground. It's you moving yourself around that contributes to how fast you can move that club head.
2: But, but Nick, don't you think, because I was going to kind of talk about ground reaction force a little bit, don't you think that that kind of recentering is... You know, reloading, reflexing the spine in transition is is giving you a platform
1: to jump from. Yeah, and that's fair. And maybe I said that wrong with uh, uh, regard to the ground reaction. And, Those and are it's,
2: not, it's, not, it's not a react. The ground's not really reacting there. You're actually loading into it and then using it as a platform to jump from. Yes,
1: that's how you move yourself around. Uh, yeah. It's not necessarily the ground helping you in that yeah. regard. It just yeah. gives you something to push off of. Yeah. So, one of the things that I keep kind of asking this question
2: to you because I'm always fascinated because that, you know, with my swing, we we measured all that stuff and then had five or six things and we we created our own model per se or our own set of averages and and then you know, working with some of the some of the biomechanists, and and, and really a good friend of, of both of our, Scott Lynn from Swing Cat, awesome guy. Um, he he coined a phrase that I love, he said, "Chase people are messy." And I, I think that's a great phrase because every time I think I I can fix this one so this one problem that I keep seeing with this big group of group of players, let's say somebody comes in and they're l5s1 is fused or their their cervical spines fused together and they don't have them they can't separate upper upper body lower body they've got no no rotational separation how do you work around the outliers and and uh, and obviously you know it's experience and and it's and it's having a big enough toolbox to be able to do it but like it was always fascinating working, you know, I got to spend a lot of time with Bryson and then also, you know, moved over here and started teaching with Hal and I mean, Hal was so inquisitive on his, every, every question he asked me was always about his golf swing early on when he was still trying to play. And it was always, I always had to sit there and like think and be like, okay, how does it work with, with this guy who's had a left knee replacement, who's had a left hip replacement, who's had a right hip replacement, like all this stuff. How do you work around the messiness?
1: Yeah, I like that too. And I've been to Scott's uh, uh, studio in California too. And he's an awesome guy for sure. Uh, The crux of that is uh, people are messy, as he said. And how do you get around the messiness for sure? I would tell you that I'm not, well, I have a model swing like you do. And Hal even does. He just may not know it all the time. Every teacher does. You have something you're working towards or else you wouldn't know where to even start. Everyone has a system, everyone has a model swing, they just don't know it. Um, so I've got a model swing of I'd like someone turned about 70 degrees with their thorax when their right arm's parallel to the ground. Not everyone I teach does that, not every great golf tech student does that, not every great PGA Tour player does that but I know that if they're turned a little less, they might have a problem with the swing direction being too far and out. They might have a problem in the ball. They might have a a, a problem with just uh, having their knees flex at that point in time. You can kind of almost start problem solving what's wrong with someone when they don't meet your model. That's why you do it. But if you can't actually physically move yourself around, which I usually start with, I challenge you on that, that I can make you do that. And then if you prove me wrong, which doesn't happen the whole, very often, but if they did, the whole point isn't to match that model. It's just do the best you can. So if someone can only be turned 60 degrees when the right arm's parallel to the ground, that's fine. Just do that. Um, we'll practice the over curve and the swing direction. Generally on the downswing just make your left shoulder maybe stay down a little bit longer which drives the swing direction more to the left a little bit longer Then the need to be turned as much on the way through the ball isn't nearly as essential. You just just have to back to one of those initial points you have to have a swing system that's lenient enough even though it's really structured. So here's what I want you to do but if you don't that's okay too.
0: Uh, Wow. Uh you catch me in i I'm in awe. I don't know <laughs> what to say, you know? I mean you're you're a smooth talker, Nick. <laughs> About the golf. Unfortunately play. I have to do
1: this quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean this I is mean, this is my job and this our golf tech coaches know this stuff too. Wow.
0: Well,
2: I I always joke with with Nick because in in the in the underground golf instruction world there's a lot of differ different differentiating opinions, differing opinions and a lot of different personalities and he he wades through those waters so so well. It's always impressive. I always laugh when when he he gets some trolls coming after him and in and, and their system and he just he he handles it like a like a grizzled politician every time. It's always, it's always so, so (laughs) so impressive. impressive. I appreciate
1: that. And it's, (laughs) it's, uh, I appreciate how your, your comment. I'm not trying to baffle anybody. You're just talking about golf. So uh, it's it's awesome to hear you talk about this too.
0: I'm, I'm, I'm amazed really, to be honest with you. Uh, I mean, you've got it figured out and, you know, if I were somebody that, didn't work with anybody i was a good player and i come in to talk with you about my golf swing it's easy for me to tell that you know what you're talking about and that's half the battle whenever someone's coming in to take a lesson uh you know your model and you know where you're trying to get people to go they're going to see that pretty rapidly, and uh you know i'm as I'm sitting here listening to you, the, when I played my best, I felt like my hands were a long ways from me in, at this point. And, you know, that's where you were talking about being. And, you know, every time I felt like I was here, I wasn't playing very good. And that's simply what you
1: were talking about right there. Yeah. No, that's one of the biggest parts of golf is it doesn't stop at impact. Uh, Unfortunately, I'm seeing a lot of teachers who don't understand the follow-through is important. If the follow-through weren't important, you could do anything you wanted in the follow-through. That's not how golf works. So, yeah, I could see how, uh, especially for you, I'm guessing that your worst shots were a touch too low and maybe started too straight and drew too much. Is that fair? Right. So to help you keep the face open a little bit more, moving the butt under the club, faster for a longer time after you hit would keep the the twisting or the axial rotation of the shaft would take some of that off and it could help you have more loft which aims the face more to the right and those go up in the air and push more so nick I'm i'll be happen. working on that in a few minutes <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: he, he, he will, he'd be he an will interesting suit.
1: one to talk about <laughs> Uh, Hal, if that's your problem the bending backward would be a big part of it but i'm sure you've you've talked about this with uh with chase too but how you move through the ball and it should feel more like you have a bunker shot style of lead wrist extension through the shot could help you do that too so the point where your right arm is parallel to the ground and the follow through the shafts like a lightning rod standing straight up in the air that would help you keep some loft on the club longer too and something like that if a teacher would have told you just that small of a cue feel like you do this when you have this problem and it worked and you understood that all you needed to do or what you're trying to do is keep more loft on the club you could have maybe gone out for uh, weeks months or years and never hit more than one of those low uh, over curving shots that's how that's how you teach PGA Tour players, too. A little, little bit at a time, just knowing what the problem is and not necessarily playing any games with your backswing. Yeah, I mean, under for him to understand, you know, if he he's at
2: Sawgrass and cooks one left on 16 and then gets through 17 and gets up on 18 and he's got that left driver feel in his head from 16, if he could do something, whether it was left wrist extension on the finish, just to keep the face pointed up in the sky a little bit longer. Yeah. Just to get that's through so that powerful.
1: powerful survival. The better right. the player, yeah, yeah. The better the player, the more important those cues are. So, yes, eighteen. You describe that. Uh, that's a perfect analogy. Eighteen. You're nervous about overdrawing that thing. If you have something in your system of how to play golf extending your wrist, keeping the butt under the club low, but still bending yourself backwards. Something that worked to where you do, if I just do this, I'm more likely to get a shot that'll go to the right. It might overcut. I might actually hit this up on the hill on 18, but I won't hit it in the locker. I'm going to do that. There's so much less anxiety Uh, towards your game and i think that's really the mental approach that's sometimes missing for better players it's just that they don't have something in their their system of playing golf that says i if i do this it'll go over here and if i do this thing i'm pretty sure it'll go straight or maybe over to the left uh having that kind of command of your golf ball via a simplistic little tip is super helpful
2: Nick, quick, quick, very, very general question that I'd love your take on, um, arms versus pivot. And a lot of, a lot of new age instruction has been pivot, 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 pivot. Um, a lot of the old school, like Toski and a lot of those guys were arms seem to be arms only. Um, gotcha. Okay. Um, and I'll I'll say, I'll say this too real quick. Like, and I'll, I'll I'll give you my opinion quickly. I, I tell people that if, if, I was ju- if we were just paid on getting people to pivot, getting their hips to move correctly, getting their shoulders to move correctly, just that movement only, it would, this would be super simple. Where everything breaks down is when we start putting our hands on the club and it starts, starts to break down. So I, as I've gotten deeper into the 3D and deeper into this stuff, I find myself pulling more towards educating the arms first and the body tends to respond more so maybe even just from chest chest or belly button up. If I can get the shoulders and the arms to work correctly, usually the lower body responds pretty, pretty well. Um, but that's, that's my opinion. So that's kind of where I'm, where I'm going with the questions. I love your take on that.
1: Yeah. No, that's a, I think you define defined that really well. It's a little bit down to that. Um, one of my bigger pet peeves in golf instruction is the indefinite pronouns. So when you say pivot, are you talking about the, the 3d of the backswing, the downswing, um, the follow through the sways throughout the swing? uh i'd I'd first have to probably ask that and then what do you mean by just arms the lead arm adduction abduction piece or is it the wrists as well is it the flex of the trail elbow um if i had to make that really generic i'd say the, the easiest way to learn golf is first learn a six degrees of freedom backswing that's similar to a pga tour player then learn a six degrees of freedom follow through that's similar to a pga tour player then you'll have done the thoracic extension and tilting side bending that you're describing to be able to do that. And then from there would be the refinement of uh, how much do you extend or flex your wrist on the downswing when you're leading our parallel to the ground. How far back is that behind you or is it out too far? Uh, so I'd probably do it in a similar way to you. I teach people to move themselves around so they have a chance, and especially in the follow through. If that isn't right, then you're left to hit. Uh, with being bent too far forward and, you know, the old elbow flexing, uh, left wrist extension, windshield wiper with the club kicking past your hands real fast. So I teach golf, of uh, we're a rank beginner to do the the movements. Well, the six degrees of freedom that resemble a PGA tour player, then get into the wrists and elbows and lead arm position throughout the swing. The better the player is typically teaching them how to do the wrists is a, uh, a better place to start so i wouldn't probably teach how here's how the six degrees of freedom backswing work Uh, most of what we're talking about is how to keep your shaft high enough but not too high don't roll the shaft as much those are all smaller pieces that are your wrists and elbows Out of all the motion data that we've collected over the years, 23% of the skill separation of golfers comes from how you move your pelvis and your thorax, but a huge number, which I can't quantify yet, but I'd love to someday, is going to be ultimately how you bend your wrists and elbows through the shot because that's the piece that's going to transfer the energy at the right time into the right direction. So it's super critical to get them both right, but uh, harder to do the latter. Real quick, just
2: quickly uh, explain to our listeners. I know they're they're questioning this six degrees of freedom.
1: Oh, gotcha. The uh, the shoulder turn is an example of one degree of freedom. That's the one that most people talk about the most. But you're not just turning on the backswing or the downswing. In spite of what you might watch on the golf channel, you're also tilting yourself, side bending to the left or to the right, different amounts depending on where you are in the swing. And then the bending forward and backward as another dimension. So those are the three different rotational movements you could have. But there's also the sway away from the target or toward that all of your joints can make. And you can lift those upward or downward and push towards the ball and away from the ball. Those six dimensions can be measured. Um, that doesn't need to be complicated. I'm Obviously, given a different dissertation than I would in a lesson, but uh, those six degrees of measurements uh, enable you to make a backswing, downswing, and follow-through that resemble PGA Tour players. Perfect. It's the education that every teacher needs to have, Chase. I know you know that. You have an awesome background in that. There's probably no better background in that than what you come from. Very, I, I say it all the time. I was very
2: fortunate to be able to spend time with guys like you and you know Dana Dahlquist and, and Mike
1: Adams. Oh. And That's the, nice of you to say. I mean, uh, you lived in the you sold 3D systems. they so had to learn how it worked, and then you yeah. got to see the power of that. And you got yeah, to train I mean, your eyeballs what a 36 degrees to the left shoulder tilt looks like. Sure. Uh, those are uh, yeah. most golf instructors don't get that experience.
2: But to get to go suit up in front of the some of the best instructors in the world, and to some of them, would even ask me to give their students a lesson. Like it was trial by fire, like game time. Like I had to come up. You know, I had to had to go through everything and. <laughs> Same thing. I mean, yeah. you you have to deal with deal with similar stuff, but I mean, I think your job's harder getting all the instructors to teach from the same lingo lingo and and get them all to kind of see the golf swing the same way. But I was super super fortunate, super blessed to be able to go through that system and spend time with Chuck Evans and do all that stuff that, that I got to do. And you know, it's
1: it's how Hal and I met, and there, you know, we've just moved on from there. But, yeah, golf would be so great if everyone every teacher understood 3D. Not to necessarily an expert level but they knew that you changed the bend of your of your shoulders and you tilt yourself towards the ground in the backswing and they could say similar words um we have a our golf tech coaches have a, a private facebook group that you can't get into but it's the most civil organized and understandable golf conversations and it's probably the busiest forum on the internet about golf but no one knows about it because unless you're a golf tech coach, you don't see it. Then you can go to a separate group of teachers, 2,000 of them, and none of them work off the same um, verbiage, uh, or verbiage yeah. at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah their, their glossary of terms are indefinite pronouns and things that just don't make sense. And no one's using actual words. And you can't have a conversation about golf that way. You can't even start. So uh, that is one of the harder parts. It was certainly messy when I started seven or eight years ago, but uh, we're on the right track. And really we're just trying to help golf teachers be really good at their job, which makes their day easier and students get better. Our average student drops about seven shots in a year. Uh, Golf tech coaches are good at what they do. And uh, their system behind that is complicated. But when you take a lesson, it feels really simple.
0: So Nick, a lot of different body types out there. Different heights, different wingspans. How does Golf Tech factor
1: all of that in? Sure. So I would say that we we still just work off the same basic template. So regardless of how big you are, what do you look like, um, I, don't, I definitely don't think the wingspan has a whole lot to do with how you'd want to move yourself around in the six degrees of freedom. Um, but you just make subtle changes to your model swing. So the average PGA Tour player, when you measure how far their shoulders are bent forward. It's about 41 degrees when they set up to the ball. If a person that comes in and they're 6'4 is bent for 32 degrees instead of 41, you wouldn't panic and try to teach them how to do the PGA Tour average. You just mold your system to the person that stands in front of you. Uh, that happens. That's easier to do when you know your system really well. Then you can make all the adjustments to, to that to fit the person. So it should feel very individual no matter who you go to. I would agree. Oh. Yeah.
2: So one of the things, uh, just a quick follow up. like I'm six, seven with with six, four wingspan. So a lot of people always try to get me to stand taller to the golf ball. And I, I just couldn't, I was always more bent over and I would tend to get a little bit more depth. Um, we've got some six, two kids with six, six, four, six, five, six, six wingspans. And any Any thoughts on arm structure versus you know and I know you guys are probably with the new system going to measure you know lead arm reduction a little bit more and measure some of the some of the the elbow bends and stuff do you any anything you you could you know hypothesis any hypothesis coming from what you think you'll see with some of that stuff
1: um, I'm not sure I understand your question enough to find a measurement that would so be different one of, the
2: th- one of the things i tell like my longer longer arm players is they've got two options with with backswing structure they can either go a little bit more vertical or they can they can go like max width like we got to be a little careful if getting left getting too deep in the backswing because they run out of space they don't have their they've got they don't have the space gotcha. to, to come down and so i was just curious again very general question but curious kind of what what you see with guys that are that are built
1: built differently. Gotcha. Um, Uh, I wonder if the, if it's the build, I I don't know if it's the build or not, that would matter. Like the lead arm, if it's lower at the top of the swing, I can definitely see how the, uh, abduction of that arm moving faster is a little trickier on the way down, but it's super important. Think of Matt Kuchar as that type of player. Right. You know, if you had your arm up, you could be a little slower with the, uh, the abduction that way and just change your, your shoulder tilts to lower the shaft in. So I think it would be more dependent on how you chose to do the backswing. And I would I typically just teach, teach people move your, your right elbow off your rib cage about three or four inches, put the butt under the club a couple of inches behind your shoulder, uh, sort of in line with how you move the club on the way back. It would get a little bit above your shoulder, but I wouldn't go more than a couple of inches above it necessarily and just fit people kind of into that box. But if a good player walked in and had, the Matt Kuchar arm swing, a very low, uh, or Bubba Watson. I don't necessarily make them do that box either. Yeah, gotcha.
2: Awesome, sir. How you got any more? Any more thoughts? Any more questions? Uh, I have got
0: a lot of questions, but we don't have time for all <laughs> of them
1: today Hey, Hal. Uh, there's a question. Uh, I do a lot of interviews with with PGA Tour players uh, all uh-huh. the time. Uh, one of my favorite questions to ask is, "Who is the best hitter you've ever played with?" Have you answered that on your show yet? Who is the best hitter the of best the golf ball? striker? Yeah. The best hitter that you played with. Who was the most impressive when the ball sat there, either on a tee or on the ground? Trevino. Trevino. I get that Trevino. one a lot. I think Al Geiberger said the same thing.
0: Yeah. Trevino was as good as I, you know, I, he, we were, I'll never forget this. We were walking off the eighth, uh, tee at Mirafield village. And, Trevino looked over at me and he said, "Hal, he said right there, if you can control the bottom of your arc right there for that long, you'll be a great player. And you know, that's a real general remark, but it's pretty factual.
1: (laughs) So accurate. Absolutely. How you do that is how you do. That's the fun stuff that we're talking about. Well, and that's
0: what we've been talking about for the last hour. So, uh, you know, I appreciate you coming on, Nick. I, I, I respect your knowledge, and, uh, you know, I, I was kind of in awe listening to you how well you defined everything you were talking about. It's obvious you talk about this all day long, every day, because it just comes right off the top of your your head just like that. So,
1: uh, Hey, I sincerely appreciate the compliment. That means a lot coming from someone who's been around the game, done as well in it as you have.
0: Well, you know, one of the things we talk about is the difference between art and science. And I really believe that the the next greatest player that's going to come along is going to have a mixture of both. And I don't think it's all science and I don't think it's all art. I think the science part of this for the player is he's got to have understanding. And, you know, you pretty eloquently helped me understand some of the things that I didn't understand.
1: So I appreciate that today. No problem. you got one of the best coaches in the world on this call, though, too. Chase knows what yeah. he's doing.
0: Well, and I know that, and I appreciate <laughs> you saying that. Uh, yeah. I knew that whenever I spent quite a bit of time with Chase, and that's why I wanted to bring him to Houston. And uh, I I had a selfish motivation in it that I wanted to learn, but uh, I know what Chase knows. I mean, I don't know what he knows. I know he knows. it. That's the point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: No, that's well, awesome. Nick, no, thanks for the conversation. I sincerely appreciate it,
2: Nick. I, I and I really appreciate the kind of words coming from you because you're you're one of the best coaches in the country, and I'm yeah. I'm um, I'm 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 aspiring. I'm 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 working to help my players the best way I can, and in the end, I I care, and that's one thing how I talk about. We we love our players to death, and I had a kid win an AJGA a couple of weeks ago, and I cried like a little baby. Like it was it was uh, good I for was you. A, I was a sappy mess, man. But it you know you put the heart and soul into these kids and, and, and these players and you want them to get better. And, and it's, it's, you know, guys like you that are good resources for, for guys like me. I mean, heck last time at the PJ show, I was showing you a video of a player I was struggling with and getting your opinion on how to help them, you know? And so it's, that's, that's what it takes. And it, it takes the groups, like the private groups that you guys have where they're very civil and they're just trying to get people better and there's no egos in this thing. And that's what, that's what this podcast is all about. We're just trying to, help players get better and learn, learn more about the game. And I have a feeling that, that, that some of our listeners are going to have, have to listen to this one a couple of times to, to grasp all the, all the technical pieces, but we love it. And that's what we expected. And we're, we're so glad you came on. And, and for any of our listeners at home that, you know, want to, want to get better at their game and don't have any local instructors that, they, that they've gone to, you can go check out the golf tech because the golf tech store close by because they're, they're led by, by Nick, who's freaking awesome. So we, we really appreciate you coming on again. Thanks for, thanks for all you do.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And if anybody wants to find more info about what we do, GolfTech.com is a place where you can find any of our locations. We have about 225 internationally right now and growing fast. We aren't even close to being done there. And it's not the size that makes it cool. It's just that our business is so good. Our students really love what they do. We care like what Chase is explaining. Uh, that's a, a great place to look at, at what we're doing. And then if you want to find any other Golf Tech stuff, uh, uh, I'm trying to be as invisible as I can online, but we do have a YouTube page, golftech.com slash YouTube, uh, sorry, a YouTube page, search Golf Tech. You can find a ton of video content. We're trying to do some long form videos that are maybe a little more in depth than what you might find online. Uh, but we've put a bunch of cool stuff up there if you appreciated anything that we talked about today.
2: Awesome, Nick. Thanks again.
1: Thanks, Nick. Thanks, guys.
0: Well, there you have it. Nick Clearwater. He's got a clear understanding of what the golf swing does. You know, he he
2: talks about a system. He talks about a baseline a lot. And, yeah. and I think it goes... He goes into this idea of, like, if you're going to teach five or six lessons a day, you kind of got to have a baseline or a, or a set of principles that you like to see. Everybody's not going to swing the same, but there's certain facts in this game that we have to adhere to, but then there's a lot of a lot of, um, uh, you know, just beliefs that you have to hold true to your heart when you're assessing these students.
0: I loved all of that that he was talking about. You know, one of the things that I really liked that he talked about was, is he said, you know, this is what I believe where it should be, but if you can't do that and you can get here instead of here, that's okay. We're going to do as... We get as close as we can to it. So he wasn't trying to make everybody swing an exact certain way. He had to baseline. And that's what made him look for flaws or for things that were right. I loved one of the things we talked about a lot on here. I loved how he talked about if a
2: Hal Sutton came in, he would sit down with you and talk for 30 minutes before he'd start cutting away. And... I think, that's, I think that's so important. I mean, the better the player, we've got to understand your pain points. We've got to understand you better before we can just start going in and slicing and dicing.
0: Well, there's a, a lot of reasons for that. We talk about how fragile really good players are, but there's a reason for that. They have further to fall, and, yep. you know, and they can't afford to fall you know, because they're trying to stay at the top of the heap. Yep. And you know, they're, they don't want to lose a thing. They're right. wanting to add to what they have, That's right. not backtrack.
2: You can ruin a 20 handicap, and it's not going to hurt his career or his livelihood. You ruin a tour player, you know, it's, it's a long, long, hard fall. Um, an interesting point he brought up that I, I, I've never heard anybody say this, and he was talking about the older generation of instructors. He was talking about, you know, think of like late, late 80s, early 90s. He was talking about how those guys taught in a difficult era it wasn't so much like a lot of people say oh they just didn't know or this or that or this or that they would, they would speak neg- negatively of the instructor it was more so like man they, they came up in an age where there wasn't a lot of information and there was a lot of a, a lot of throwing stuff on the wall and hoping it sticks
0: well there was a lot of trial and error and you know the cameras didn't have the shutter speed to show where the club face was at. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in that era. That was yeah. my era, basically. You Tra- know, Trackman didn't exist. Trackman didn't exist. Uh, you know, what I will say is I never worked with anybody that I didn't think they were trying to help me. Yep. And maybe they didn't have everything, all the tools that we yeah. have today. They obviously didn't. But they were still trying, and they had some. Um, They had a baseline too. Mm -hmm. They had a belief, Mm -hmm. and um, anyway, you know, I'm thankful for all the people that tried to help me. Sure, they were
2: doing they were doing the best they had under the circumstances. They they were doing the
0: best they could.
2: Um, The last thing I'll say about about Nick, I like the fact that you know he he knows the 3D world. He can spit out the numbers. Obviously, you you guys saw that. Um, But he's he's a good player. He can also tell a Hal Sutton or a tour player, uh, Johnson Wagner, that on the 18th tee at Sawgrass, you might have to do this to get through that shot and believe in something, right? And a lot of the 3D guys, the 3D nerds, you can, we can jokingly say, a lot of the scientists didn't play golf, didn't play golf at the highest level, and they're literally just teaching you out of, let's say, a textbook, and that's too dogmatic, might not be the best word, but it's just too black and white, and there's got to be some, like you always talk about, you got to be able to be able to believe in it.
0: I can tell you, you used on there, you talked about the 18th hole or uh, at Sawgrass or whatever. Having stood on the 18th hole for all the money against Tiger Woods, I can tell you, you better trust yourself. Yeah. And, you know, whatever you're working on at the time, you know, he was talking about handle yeah. height. Mm-hmm. And uh, that never occurred to me, but I knew I wasn't going to hit it in the left, which... Thinking back to it, I wasn't going to go low left with my hands because that brought left side in. I was going to be up here. Yep. and
2: Yeah, no, and I, I mean, I think... I think a couple of takeaways for the better player as we always say, listening at home, make sure two things. Your instructor is going to ask you a lot of your a lot of questions about your journey, like how you got here, what are your misses, why, what do you feel like you do, what do, you know. Do they have some data to back up and and can they if they're going to ask you to make a change, can they prove to you why it's going to help you? You know, if it's just hey let's let's just guess at this and guess at that, it, you know, some of the little feels and tips might help, but it's it's basically luck at that point, which which Nick kind of mentioned. But you know, working with you a little bit, working. Working with Bryson a little bit, like it, I had to prove to you guys, like, why am I going to ask you to make a change? Well, because of this, 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 I had to convince you.
0: Well, we got to know where we're going, yep. and you know how uh, and why. Yeah, and Yeah, a good stuff. instructor. I mean, you, first of all, you got to find out where they're at if you haven't worked with them, which right. is what Nick was talking about doing, mm-hmm. and you do all the time. And then the second thing is that good player saying, "I know where I'm at right now, and where are we taking me?" Yeah, that's exactly and right. You know, I, a good player's got to believe in where you're going. Yeah. And, you know, changing mindset is almost as important to give in to the change. Yeah. Give yourself permission. Give though, yourself you permission. Yeah. I, I use the word permission all the time. Yeah. If you don't give yourself permission, you can just tell the student is sitting there listening to you, but they're not hearing you. Yeah, that's right. Well, I think this is this
2: is our thirtieth episode. Somewhere around thirty, I might be one or two off. But um, you know, Nick's just another example of a of a um, just a, a smart guy in the golf business that can bring a, another perspective to to what we're trying to do. And and Golf Tech's obviously in great hands. And like we mentioned on there, if if you are interested in taking up lessons and you know aren't in Houston, if you're in Houston, come see us. But if if you're not. Um, you know, go check out Golf Tech because they're at least not guessing. They're at least going to gonna give you reasons on why they're asking you to change. And, and honestly, that's all you can ask for. And, and from there, it's up to you to work at it and get better at it.
0: I would work with Nick anytime. Yep. I think he's that kind of teacher. Yep. I'd trust anything that he had to say. Uh, you know, I still would use my own brain. I tell y'all all the time: be your own CEO. Yep. If you want to be as good as you can be, you're going to have to be the decision maker out on the golf course. So start with putting a little input into what you're you do- your change that you're making.
2: Yep, especially the better player you are. Yeah. You know, if you're a 20 handicap, you're going to have to let go and just trust that the guy knows what he's doing, and that you're going to have to make some some changes. And you need reps. But if you're a scratch golfer, and that filter better be real tight, and and you've got to you've got to know why. And, and for what reason, What where, where are you headed, as Hal said, in order to make those changes.
0: And you can do it together. I can tell you this. That's a really big point right there. No one can do this by themselves now. That's right. It's too hard. Too hard. Thanks again for joining in. See you next time. club today. Oh. Yes!